information on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a qualified licensed professional counselor or a qualified licensed medical provider. Hello and welcome back to another session of the Evolving Chair podcast, although this is live, so woo! So thank y'all for coming to my holiday live show, celebrating 30 sessions. So many of you may know my journey to get to 30, um, as well as 30 years old. But this was rough. (laughs) But I love podcasting, so I'm going to stick with it. So um, before we begin the live show, um, many of you know what I do. I'm Lakeisha. I'm a licensed professional counselor. So if you are ready to leave the chair better than you came and live your best life, connect with me. You can contact me through email at L-A-K-I-E-S-H-A at theevolvingchair.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, The Evolving Chair, and on Twitter, it's without the R because it was too many letters, so yeah. Or you can connect with me by phone, 414-395-0037. So I want to give a shout out to Miss Tiffany. She's not here right now for Poltific for allowing me to host tonight's event. So shout out to her. Woo! <laughs> and you can connect with her on Facebook and Instagram at Poltific. So I have a very special guest with me today, all the way from North Carolina, Mr. Rashawn Miller. How you doing? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so first off, I want to tell you thank you so much for being, for willing to come out and, um, you know, just talk to us and share your story, um, answer questions if people may have anything. So let's get started. But before we do, shouts out to dudes too, Everyday Media. If you are looking to get into podcasting or you have a podcast and you're looking to do better sound quality, editing, connect with Everyday Media. Follow that white limo. So <laughs> shouts out to him. I appreciate I put it. My beard in. <laughs> yes, he did. I told him to connect with you. So yes. So so Rashawn, I think the number one question people want to know, because Rashawn is a is a licensed professional counselor as well. So why did you get into therapy? And that's probably the question you're always asked, but some people are probably wondering. Um, I got into therapy just simply based off of the fact that um personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um let's see, what is this, twenty seventeen? Yeah. So two thousand six I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder mm-hmm. and it was something that I didn't understand. Yeah. It was something that um it scared me just for the simple fact that we don't talk about that in our community. So the first thing I heard when someone when the doctor told me I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, the thing first thing I heard was crazy. So when I was diagnosed, I was actually drugged to the hospital by my family. Uh, went through a period where um, I didn't eat or sleep for two weeks. Uh, lost about 25 pounds over a matter of about six weeks. Um, started hearing voices. Uh, that's when my family saw that you know I needed to get some help, and they drugged me to the hospital. But when they drugged me to the hospital, of course I didn't want to go. So I was fighting the entire way there, and then fighting when I got when I got there. So. I was put in a straight jacket and all of that stuff and then sedated, you know, with medication and everything. Uh, I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And then uh, once I was able to get out, they um, they was like, well, you need to do treatment. You got to go to therapy. You got to be on meds and you got to do all of these types of things. Um, and I was like, OK, I hear you. Um, but, you know, I still don't know what this actually means. Um, from there, I would try therapy actually got better but when I got better I was like all right I'm done with this I Uh felt like I was cured yeah um from there um I started the symptoms came back when the symptoms Mm -hmm. came back started self-medicate with alcohol um did that for about three and a half years uh I was drinking a fifth of tequila every other day uh also during that period I attempted suicide uh three times OD'd on pills twice and the last time I put a gun in my head and pulled the trigger that's when I realized that something had to change. Yeah. That's when I started to go back to therapy. That's when I started to get back on medication. That's when I really started to feel better. But then that's when I noticed there was a void in our community mm-hmm. when it comes down to addressing these issues. Yeah. And then also it's a void just from a black male standpoint that we don't address these issues because we don't talk about this stuff. We always tell our boys to man up. We always tell them, you know, exactly. they don't have these different emotions and all of those types of things. So that's what led me to become a counselor because I had a black male counselor help me out. And so mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to return the favor. Awesome, awesome. And now many times people ask me, um, 
they, they have those trigger points or, or those um, cues to allow them to know something is different, something has changed. What was that like for you? Because I'm assuming that you were denouncing those triggers and those symptoms that you were feeling. Oh, definitely, definitely. So the, one of the main things that uh, changed for me was my sleeping patterns and then my um, loss of appetite. But then also, um, I, I started to withdraw from my friends and my family, so I didn't want to mm -hmm. talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, I was in school at the time. I didn't leave my dorm room for, what, two months? Mm -hmm. And so, like, that was one of those things. And then um, college is, is stressful, period. Yeah, for sure. Honestly. Uh, but from there, uh, just trying to, because I came from a very small school, came from a small town, actually, and I ended up going to a school where you have 30,000 students. And it was predominantly white. Mm -hmm. So just making that adjustment. And then I was also an athlete as well. So trying to balance um, practice, yeah. schoolwork, and all of those types of things. It was stressful. And I just didn't know how to actually address those issues. Mm. Now, do you wish that you would have had support? Um, because that's a, a question that I do want to um, have you answer about just student athletes. Like I posted an article about it and just how the pressures of having to be physically fit to be the best at what they do, as well as academically, um, and some of them may have to work or have families. Do you wish like that is something that is mandated for those athletes? Granted, any college student, because for me, college was tough. I was a single mom with two kids, trying to get it done and you know be the best example for them and working full time that was really tough for me and you know i wasn't diagnosed with anything oh it's definitely something that uh should be implemented into the curriculum for a student athlete um because it's it's, it's tough like you said just trying to juggle all of those things because i mean honestly being an athlete at a college is a full-time job within itself and then you're trying to juggle all of those things with going to class and then studying. And then you want to have a social life as well. Exactly. So, um, but a lot of times, especially at the school that I went to, um, they put a lot of emphasis on you performing on the field mm -hmm. before you perform in the classroom and then also mm -hmm. uh, before you being a well-rounded person. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more so what can you do for us to generate, you know, these funds and things, but uh, we're not too worried about uh, your mental capacity when it comes down to addressing it but honestly your your ability to process things mentally helps out on the field too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. good good and to go back to just your own personal um, experience with mental illness now was it something that was talked about in the home what was that like growing up I'm, I'm assuming you know traditionally we don't talk about it within the black and brown communities or in the home it's like oh you're fine you know stop acting crazy go sit down somewhere Oh, uh, well, you know how it's talked about in the community. I mean, in our community, it's more like, a, you know, there's just crazy Uncle Joe. Y'all just leave him alone, he'll be all right. You know, it's, it's nothing about what it actually is, what the actual diagnosis is, what type of things do you have to do to address those issues, whether it's be on medication, and it's okay to be on medication, whether it's to go to therapy. We always look at therapy like it's something like, you know, it's something for the white people to do right. or uh, upper class when it comes down, because a lot of times we can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So that's why we, you know, we dismiss it. And, you know, we push it out to, oh, just pray about it. Yeah. That's, 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 that's yeah. our go-to for every single thing. But prayer without works is dead. So, you I mean, <laughs> so, like, I mean, when we talk about it in, in our homes, we, we, we easily dismiss it. And then especially for, for the males in our families, mm -hmm. you know, you just suck it up. You know, you go to work, you provide, and that's it. Yeah. Only, you can't cry. Only thing you can do, only emotions that black men are allowed to show is anger and happiness. Mm -hmm. There's no real in-between. Mm -hmm. and, and just with you saying that, um, I think we can definitely see a lot of that here in Milwaukee. Um, just a lot of the trauma that's going on here in the city and how it is impacting, especially this younger generation. Now with us having that societal um, factor of, okay, boys, you can't cry or show any kind of emotions, man up, right? Don't be a girl, stop crying. How do you think that allows more people to live in silence and not be able to um, seek support and get the help that they need? Because it allows us to hide behind these macho masks. Like, because, I mean, especially um, from a male standpoint, we always have to put on this persona that we are 
strong we are mm -hmm. always you know we feel some type of way whenever you know anything has happened like we always push it to the back burner so that's how we we teach ourselves that okay you dismiss this emotion um and just move forward mm -hmm. like you know no, you never I never seen my granddad cry I never seen mm -hmm. my dad cry yeah. like you never see those type of emotions from men that you you know and, and even if you have those men in your life like you never see those emotions so why would you exemplify those so you don't want to you know be considered you know a punk or any of those exactly. things associated exactly. with any type of weakness so that's mm -hmm. it, it definitely plays into the point of where we um can hide behind those things mm -hmm. and I mean but it's, it's killing us yeah because I mean, we're we're suicide rates are going up, um, you know, alcoholism, uh, drug abuse, all of these things are a factor into us not addressing our mental health. Mm. And now, when when your family um, went with you um, and well took you <laughs> um, to get diagnosed, what was that conversation? Do you think that allowed for you? And like maybe your dad to have that conversation about what was going on just as a black male it's, it's funny that you that you say that um no hmm. i mean my dad witnessed me go to the hospital and all that yeah. but even now we still don't talk about it. Hmm. it it makes him very very uncomfortable he does i don't even think he likes to hear me tell my story hmm. because even with the you know the suicide attempts he didn't yeah. know about any of those things so I think it's a reality check for him like you know that's my son i don't know what would have happened if he would have you know things were successful with his suicide mm -hmm. attempts right. but i try to be there for him but it's still you don't know how to have that conversation because i mean honestly my dad's been in my life all my life but um we don't have that 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 relationship where you we tell each other we love you we don't mm -hmm. have that relationship where we yeah. we hug each other and this that we don't do that stuff so it's it's still weird it's very, very weird. Mm. And for you as a therapist, how do you feel you try to embody more of a nurturing relationship with your dad, or do you even try to? Or are you kind of like, you know, this is our relationship? Um, I try to. I try to, like, honestly, make him uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because that's the only way you will grow, yeah. honestly. is You can't grow within comfort zones. Yeah. So making him uncomfortable, like having him have conversations about – him and his dad because his dad was a his dad wasn't really there because mm -hmm. um, when they grew up like we were from the country so like <laughs> the children stay with the grandparents yeah. the, grand, the the parents move up north to make money to send back to the children mm -hmm. so that's that era that he grew up in so he his his father wasn't really around so I mean he doesn't even call his dad dad he called mm -hmm. him by the first name mm -hmm. so like that yeah. was that disconnect there you know. Uh, but having him have those conversations, uh, then, you know, we talk about, like, I know it's hard for him, for him to listen to me talk about suicide and all of those things, but right. having emotional conversations outside of just sports, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right, or right. sports Something or meaningful. money, right, yeah. right, right, right. So, I mean, we, it, we getting there, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's slowly, but surely getting there, but I mean, it's a process. Yeah. So can't rush it because I don't want him to just completely shut down. Yeah, awesome. I love that though. And so I know I know a part of your story. Um, when you were first diagnosed, your grandmother came to you. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, well, after I was diagnosed and left the hospital, my grandmother called me because mm -hmm. she wasn't at the hospital at the time. And um, she legitimately ran down every symptom that I was going through. Mm -hmm. And she hadn't talked to anybody about it or any of those things, but, and I asked her, I was like, how do you know? And she was like, cause I go through the same thing. And, but she said she's been dealing with it for years, but never went to anyone to get help for it. But she knew exactly what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And so she, you know, she, she went, fell back on, just pray about it. And, you know, mm -hmm. everything will be yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, and you know, just that nurturing type, you know, from a grandmother yeah. to a grandson, you're like, you'll be all right. Because I, Basically, she was saying you'll be all right because I have endured this for this long, and you'll, you know, everything yeah. will end up working out. Yeah. And now, with your grandmother even sharing that she had those symptoms, can you ever remember that you saw things that were bizarre or out of place when you were around her? Um, not necessarily. I think 
more so a fact noticing the depressive states mm-hmm. um, after the fact. And so um, before she passed away, I could really tell that she was very depressed. Mm-hmm. And just having those conversations with her as far as like what's going on yeah. and um, trying to get her to get, you know, to talk to somebody because I know, you know, sometimes it's a conflict of interest in this family, yeah. but trying to get her to talk to someone about it. Um, she did a couple of times and it, you know, she said it helped out, but then it was just so much stuff going on, you know, mm. and like, like I said, when you, when you start to feel better, you, you leave it alone and you fall yeah. back into that same trap. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So how can we go about, you know, us as black women and the black men that are here making it safe for black men to talk about how they really feel instead of wearing that mask? That's a great question. I think it's it's more so of creating those spaces where they don't feel judged and you are, you promote the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times with my boys, um, you know, just really genuinely asking them, well, how are you doing? What's going on with mm-hmm. you? Um, and a lot of times to enable individuals to start to share things and talk about stuff, you have to be vulnerable yourself. So yeah, I, you have to, you know, share a piece of you and then they'll feel comfortable because we, we are we are very skeptical as people, yeah. you know, and, and we don't trust, you know, willingly. So if I give something to you and then you would be more more willing to give something to me in return and then, you know, you feel like I'm invested in you. And then mm-hmm. that way you can feel like you're able to offer up something. So just. um you not being ashamed to actually be vulnerable and then understanding that the way you express your vulnerability is not going to be the same way that they'll reciprocate that mm. men communicate completely different right that's, yeah. just, that's just it i mean because <laughs> um, we're I, hear a, mm, <laughs> <laughs> I mean but that, that's the facts of life because we grew up not communicating right yeah you know we we grew up fighting we grew mm-hmm. you know we show our our emotions through different ways and it, we channel it through different different um channels but i mean it takes patience mm-hmm. and i mean we have to be taught how to communicate mm-hmm. so that's yeah. that's a that's a major key as far as the for one encourage someone to learn but then teaching them how to actually communicate when it comes down to certain things mm-hmm. so what um what kind of maybe questions or the way you ask a black male, how are you doing? Because I feel like I can ask a black male how they doing. Of course, they're going to be like, I'm doing good. You know, everything is all good. And you, I just take what they say and be like, okay. <laughs> Sometimes, honestly, it's, it's not for you to ask. Mm. Sometimes it's, it's for the friends to ask. Is for um, family members to ask, hmm. um, just because of that that sense of if I'm if I'm in a relationship with someone, mm-hmm. I don't I'm not going to completely open up immediately about what I have going on emotionally because let's let's be real about it. I mean, for the ladies that are in the room, like <laughs> how many of y'all want want a man that's always talking about his emotions? Yikes, or, I feel like this is deja vu. What's this conversation? But if you think about it, like, I mean, and, and men know that. Yeah. Men know that, you know, I mean, because like I said, you will label that man as, you know, a punk or this yeah. So why would I, you know, divulge certain information about my feelings and emotions? For one, I don't know. I don't know how to put the words to it, mm-hmm. what's really going on. But then when I do put the words to it, are you gonna judge me? Are you gonna label me as far as what is actually what what is going on? And then, um, what are you gonna do with it once I tell you? Ooh. You know, so like, I mean, I'm I don't feel comfortable enough to you know divulge that information, and then you run away with it, and then you people put it on Facebook and all this other right, stuff, and yeah, you know, and yeah. so then I got to fight for my honor and all that <laughs> stuff. So like, right. I mean, so it's it's definitely something that's. It's very touchy. So, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I feel like men will open up more when it comes down. They feel like somebody that can really relate to them. Right, right. And maybe been in that same struggle. So, that's why I say a lot of times it's, it may be easier coming from another man mm-hmm. asking those questions. 
Right, and, and you've done a great job at creating that safe space for men to come. Um, you have locker room talk. Right? Yeah, thank you. Can thank you, you talk to them a little bit about what it is and you know, just how well it's going. Like sometimes I was like, I wonder what they know this <laughs> girl who dialed on to like hear what they talking about. But <laughs> well, you know, uh, I get that a lot. Like a lot of women, you want to call in and be like, yo, I'm going to call I'm in. I'm like, I was like, no, you're not. Because <laughs> I can see who calls in and I'm going to just oh. click disconnect. Oh, oh, you do? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because um, so Locker Room Talk is basically a, um, it's a conference call that we do weekly. And it's for men of color to call in. And we just talk about different uh, issues that pertain to our mental health. And it's not necessarily, you know, we're just talking about diagnoses, uh, particular uh, stressors and all that. We talk about just everything that's going on in the world. We talk about Donald Trump. We talk about uh, <laughs> stuff we see on social media. We, we talk about uh, actually people that work in corporate America, the microaggressions that we actually mm -hmm. deal with on a daily basis. We talk about, like, the police brutality. And how when we step out the house, man, I'm scared. Hmm. I'm scared when a cop gets behind me. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm tensing up because right. making sure that I don't do nothing wrong and knowing that I, don't, I haven't done anything wrong, but, you know, just to make sure that I can make it back home. So we talk about those issues and things like that. And, I mean, we get people calling in from all over the country uh, every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. And, you know, we talk for an hour. Um, I start off the call. I like I, I like to get on, get get people to talk about something good that's going on in their in their mm -hmm. week, and then we know we go into an issue, and then I challenge them at the end to tell me something that they're going to do to better themselves at the end of the call. Mm -hmm. So that's how we that's our, our cycle that we do, and got a, a few good um, callers. They they like they say they look forward to it every awesome. week. So yeah, it's creating that space and yeah. building that sense of community so that people can you know feel like they're 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 not alone. Because exactly. some of the people that I never met, but yeah. I mean, if they were to come to Charlotte and they call me, right, I got you. What you need, yeah. you know. So it makes the world smaller, but that way you will know that you're not in this alone. Yeah, and it's free. Yeah, but free. if right. you're a woman, he right. gonna disconnect you. Oh, yeah, so yeah, don't yeah, call yeah. in. <laughs> Not for women. Just from a therapeutic standpoint, I was like, I just want to know <laughs> like, how's it flowing. <laughs> but um, to talk a little more about relationships, so some people might be afraid to um, share with somebody that they um, have a mental illness. So how would you encourage somebody to have that conversation, or is it like, Shona, don't divulge it like on the first date second date what is it is it like a rule to it or do you feel like i um i guess i'm a little biased to the question mm -hmm. just because uh i mean i share my story openly anyway right. so anybody that's starting to deal with me they already know what they go get to a certain degree <laughs> <laughs> um but i think is one thing is the education piece mm. So knowing, educating the individual that you're, that you're dealing with as far as what the diagnosis actually means and what these symptoms um, include. And then honestly, is educating yourself. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times with, to successfully manage uh, mental illnesses, yeah. you have to learn yourself and you have to be open and honest with yourself. What are my triggers? Mm -hmm. uh, what things help calm me down? Uh, you know. What other factors am I doing that's going to heighten me? Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to you have to go through that period where you have to figure those things out for yourself. Mm -hmm. So before you can actually tell someone else how to actually help you. So I think just having that conversation would be figuring out, you know, what's what's going on with you, learning more about that actual diagnosis and then educating that individual about it. But then mm -hmm. also letting them know that, you know, I'm me, yeah. but I'm more than just a diagnosis. Yes. I mean, because the diagnosis is just a part of me. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'm not the actual diagnosis. I right. mean, that's a label that's attached to the symptoms that I actually may experience from time to time. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And so if you guys have questions, you don't have to wait till the end. You can definitely, like, raise your hand, and we'll bring the mic to you. So if you have questions in between. Um, but Rashawn is also an author, too, y'all. So, woo! <laughs> I love to celebrate people. So his book is called Injured Reserved, A Black Man's Playbook to Manage Being Sidelined by Mental Illness. So can you talk to us, why did you name it Injured Reserved and what made you want to share your story in book form? Um, I named it Injured Reserved just because I, 
as an athlete, I always got injured. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I done had maybe t- uh, 10 surgeries. Oh. So on, on various parts of my body. And so it was, it's just a play on the actual being an athlete and, you know, focusing on a lot of times we focus on our physical health, mm-hmm. but it's actually digging into how you recover from a mental illness, which mm-hmm. is focusing on your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I went through various periods where I learned, I got to the point where I was, I was comfortable with going through rehab for a physical illness, mm-hmm. but I was very uncomfortable with yeah. going through the treatment period for addressing my mental illness. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, I, I, it's a play on those things and then my history with actually getting hurt. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Now, what was it like for you writing the book and just, you know, actually putting the words on paper about what you experienced and what you went through? It was tough at times um, when I went through various parts of the book just because I had to go back to that period and Mm -hmm. go back to that mind state. Um, Especially when I was in that room, Mm -hmm. like before they actually took me to the hospital. That was it was something that was tough. But I I realized that it was something that I needed to do because Mm -hmm. it was also therapeutic for me. Because when I the reason why I started writing is because um, you know, my therapist promoted me to actually journal to because my, my thoughts go so so fast. Mm. And so it was like journal and get it all out and then you, re, then you organize it later. Mm-hmm. So that's what got me into writing. I make sure I journal every single day now and just, you know, just write anything that I got on my mind, get it out. But then, um, I mean, the reason why I wanted to put it into a book form is just because I mean, a book is always going to be there for mm-hmm. one. But then yeah. also it was a challenge for myself because I was diagnosed with a, a reading disability. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't know that I had a reading disability till my junior year of college. Wow. So I skated through school. I ain't going to say skated, but I, <laughs> I maneuvered my yeah. way through school all the way up until that point and then learned that I had a reading disability. So it was more so it was also a personal challenge too to actually mm-hmm. put it in the book form. Okay, I love it. And so now I, I had the opportunity to read the book. Y'all got to read the book. It's really good. It's not filled with all this therapeutic jargon, big words. It's like really concise, straight to the point. Um, you actually connect with Rashawn and what he experienced. But in your book, you quoted, a loaded gun can be dangerous, but a loaded mind can be fatal. Can you talk to us a little more about that? It was just more so of um, going back to that time period where I had already attempted suicide twice. And I was like, this time I'm gonna do it for real. Like, I, I'm gonna, it's gonna be no questions asked. I, I don't, I'm not gonna leave it to chance. And so I had the loaded gun. And it wasn't the fact of me having a gun that was the dangerous part. It was more so the fact of all the thoughts that were going mm-hmm. through my head. Yeah. So that's why I say um, the loaded mind is definitely more dangerous than a loaded gun because what you do with the gun is based off of your thought processes mm-hmm. and what's actually going through it at that particular time. And I was, I was down. I was like, you know, feeling like. I was worthless. I felt like I had no no meaning. I felt like I shouldn't even be here. Felt like no one would care if I wasn't here anymore. Mm-hmm. Felt like, you know, and a lot of times people think that it's, um, you know, suicide is labeled as the easy way out or it's right. selfish. Right. But my, my thought process during that time period was more so of I'm a burden to people. Mm-hmm. So if I'm no longer here, yeah. they're free from my transgressions and everything that I'm putting there on to them because everybody's continuing to worry about me. So if I'm no longer here, I'm doing everybody else a favor. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome, though. Thank you for sharing. Uh, no problem. I'm going to keep saying that just because, <laughs> you know, sometimes we may have that fear of like, okay, what may people think about me as I'm sharing my story so boldly? So I appreciate you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I let that go a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I let that yeah. go a long time ago. So, uh, 
Another part of the book, you said, I was afraid to explore the why associated with my feelings and emotions. And so many of the times when I'm working with professionals or just having conversations, especially about children, people always are looking at the what and the what being the behaviors, but they don't really um, uncover what their why is. So can you talk to us, why were you so afraid of uncovering your emotions and feelings? When you explore the why, mm -hmm. you have to really be introspective. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we we are quick to judge others and we're quick to, you know, point out other people's faults, but we don't want to accept our own. So that's why, you know, exploring the why and then also exploring well, first of all, it means admitting mm -hmm. that there's a problem. Who in here wants to admit that, you know, we have a problem? And, and they, we all know that nobody's perfect, but we like to think we're close enough to perfect as possible. Mm -hmm. So um, when you explore that why, you have to actually dig deep and be brutally honest. And then sometimes when you dig deep, you bring up stuff that you don't even remember. Mm. And when, when those things come up, you don't know how you're going to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I was actually on locker room talk, uh, two weeks ago and, um, I had a conversation with, um, one of the men up there and we were talking about, you know, all of these sexual, um, abuse allegations, you know, all of these types of things. And a memory came up for me that, um, I realized that I was molested when I was probably about mm. eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I never really thought of, thought much about it. Right, right. Um, until, like, all of these other things started going on. And then you start thinking about your own past. And then mm -hmm. it was like, dang, well, this wasn't right. But, I mean, it was, it was, it was an older cousin. Mm -hmm. And then it was, uh, it was a, a, a female. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, and then that, that actually transpired into me being sexually active very, very right. early. And but it, those behaviors and things are are quote unquote norm for men, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah. like, and then it, it it just led into a whole lot of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And but that's when you when you explore that why you got to figure out. I mean, it brings up a lot of stuff. Yeah. So that's why people are scared. That's why I was scared. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. speak for people right, in general. Right. That's why I was scared to explore the why at the time. Yeah, and and I think it goes back to reiterate that everything is connected. Definitely. We just Definitely. may not know that underlining why until something happens that triggers our memory. Right, right, right. So so it's in that instance, if you have somebody that may just be like having a casual conversation with somebody or they're smelling a, an aroma because we know sometimes um, with trauma, it can be the scent of something that um, triggers people's body. So how would you encourage them to seek support? One thing is to acknowledge that um, it's an issue and then wanting to change it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, one thing with seeking support, we don't know where to go. So as far as like, you know, reaching out to professionals like yourself and myself um, via email or whatever or social media. But then also we, we have the Internet at our hands. Honestly, we, we use it for every we Google everything else. Like <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, you can yeah. you can Google, you know, professionals that are in your city. Yeah. Uh, you can use uh, search engines like Psychology Today. They have a plethora of different um, resources for individuals that, you know, you can actually see the picture of the clinician that you that you want to reach out to. Yeah. So, I mean, utilizing, you know, the Internet, it, it, like I said, it makes the world very small. Um, but then the actual steps for going to therapy. Um, if you don't, if you're not comfortable going by yourself, get somebody to go with you. Like um, you know, and you know, let them hold your hand while you go. <laughs> uh, they don't have to yeah. go inside with you, but you know, it's just the process of going to the actual therapist, and then you know, they you you knowing that you have a safety valve there, mm -hmm. or you have that support. Um, you know, talking to finding somebody that you trust to actually explain to them that these are the things that I have going on. Mm -hmm. um, I need your help to 
get the help that I actually need. And then as the individual that's receiving that conversation, don't just dismiss it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, do if you don't know how to actually get the help for that person, reach out to someone. I mean, you can reach out to me. I'm sure they can reach out to you. And then we can help point them in the right direction, no matter where they are at in the world. Because we, we, I think we are a little bit more savvy to maneuver how to get people to their, their actual help that they actually need. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> we will take a break right after this. <laughs> but the thing is, how are you telling them? <laughs> Come on, Brett. Do, do, do you do you really say it like that? A year or so later. What advice would you give to somebody that has gone through that, that's trying to let the guy know, hey, maybe seeing somebody might be beneficial? Um, sometimes, so I had this issue with, with my mom, honestly. Uh, my mom sat there and watched, you know, she was the one that took me to the hospital, and then when I flipped it on her and, you know, tried to say that you may need to talk to somebody, um, she got defensive, just like you said. Um, so I had to take matters into my own hands and make the appointment myself and be like, look, you coming with me. So when I did that, she was like, where are you going? Where are we going? And I was like, I told her. And she was like, I don't need you to go with me. I go by myself. And so I was like, all right, cool. But you going. And you know, so I mean, sometimes it, it takes that, that little extra push. You know, you may, may need to make the appointment for them. You may need to put them in the car, um, you know, and, and drive there. <laughs> I know you said I know I know you said your situation was a little bit different, but you know. I, I don't think uh, is putting anybody in no car. <laughs> but I mean, you know, sometimes you have to take those steps for them uh, when it comes down to addressing that, those issues. When it, you know, making that appointment, uh, you know, getting a list of resources for them to actually reach out to. It's, it's throwing those subtle hints out there. Um, I've had honestly, I've I've had. Um, women come up to me to buy my book and they'd be like, okay, I'm going to make this dude read this and maybe he'll get the hint that he might need to go get some help. Uh, so it's just, you know, being creative. Uh, letting them know that you'll go with them. Because like I said, it could be scary because it's, it's, it's unknown. We don't know what, it, what, what therapy actually looks like. Yeah. We don't know, you know, what's the steps to actually, you know, engage into it. So going with them, you know, some, hold their hand going in there. That may help out as well. 
I don't I don't um I don't agree to ultimatums though because yeah that's something that's yeah that's trouble in my personal experience. I don't think that would be good for anybody. Cause yeah. I think you would get more um, backlash than right. anything. Right, right, right. Uh, so um, to, to bring it a little current, um, with everything going on in the media, with celebrities coming out with their own um, stories about dealing with depression and things of that nature, how do you think that changes the face of us being able to openly talk about mental health without people being like, I ain't got them issues? I think it definitely um, helps with us reducing the stigma, but then also I feel like we also have to have individuals that are right here in our community talking about it as yeah. well, because a lot of times they, they put you know um, celebrities on a pedestal and they'd be like, well, they got those rich people problems, so that's probably why they mm -hmm. you know going crazy, or that's why you know I don't have those issues. Um, so, but I definitely, it definitely helps out to the point where you can see anybody can be dealing with something at any point in time. And we all deal with something at some point in time. Mm -hmm. You may not be diagnosed with something, but life is stressful, period. Mm -hmm. So whether you're worried about finances, whether you're worried about relationships, mm -hmm. whether you're worried about, you know, anything, jobs or, you know, anything. Like, we all deal with some type of mental health challenge at some yeah. point in our life. So definitely the individuals that, you know, professional athletes, uh, mm -hmm. entertainers, actors, all of those, like they're actually coming out and, you know, it's the, um, exposing the issues that they're dealing with definitely helps out. So it makes it a little bit more normal for individuals to talk about it. Yeah, and I feel like though, it's still so hard though for me to have the conversation with anybody just about mental health because it's still like, uh, pray about it. I don't want to hear that. I ain't crazy. Jazz, you got a question? I do. So I know so mental health is obviously mental and a lot of times it's genetic. Do you think that social media aids in or enhances uh, mental health issues as far as like depression, anxiety, things like that? I definitely do. Just because of the fact that we get into this this lifestyle of comparing to other people. But we have to realize that the stuff that people post on social media is their best self to a certain degree. And some of it is fronts anyway, to be honest. Um, and so we started comparing what we see on social media to what our real life is. And then we feel like that we need to be to that point or we should be to that point. And it increases that anxiety levels. Or it may you may start to um, increase your, um, your stress levels when it comes down to uh, pushing yourself harder. Or it may make you sad because you're not where you want to be or where you think you should be based off of what you see on social media. But then in addition to that, you know, you deal with a lot of cyberbullying and you know, all of those types of things. So that can definitely affect your self-esteem and all the things. I mean, and then honestly, like um, I tell my friend this all the time. I was like, yo, when I had kids, I don't even want to put my kids on social media because they gonna mess around and become a meme and they're gonna be floating around. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. I mean, it's so easy to screenshot stuff, throw some words on it, and then it, it becomes viral. And then, you know, the next thing you know, then you're looking at yourself and you're like, dang, like people are harsh mm -hmm. because people, it, it's, they can just type and they can hide behind any type of moniker that they curate and they can say whatever they want to. And they have no filter at all. So it definitely plays into the mental health, I believe. Very good explanation. <laughs> um, and this makes me think of, um, Jazz, I'm glad you brought that up, just social media, even people like talking about what they may be going through, Tyrese, you know, and just when I would read the comments about people, um, what people were saying about him, and I was just like, oh no, like it was a lot of negative stuff. I was like, you know, if he really is dealing with something, and like you said, we all have stress. Like some of us are able to handle it a lot better than the other person, but some of us, you know, too much of it, we on social media, you know, having a meltdown, like literally. And I felt like that's what he was when he was crying. And then he came back and was like, it was the medication. And then when I saw the comments about the medication, like, see, that's why you shouldn't be taking that white people stuff. Like, and I was like, no, no, don't do that. Cause then I was like, how, how 
does that hinder us as like clinicians? Because I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not like, medication is not like my number one thing for individuals, but sometimes some people do need happy helpers to kind of help them along. So I guess the first thing is I want to address is, like you said, when some people can't manage those stressors and they go straight to social media and they yeah. pour it out. Um, I see it all the time, like um, people complaining about this or complaining about that in their mm -hmm. Facebook statuses and all of this type of stuff. Uh, I had to stop, I had to unfollow certain people mm -hmm. just because, I mean, just that negative energy and you know, it, it plays into your own psyche um, because misery loves com company. So, um, but then going on the, the Tyree situation, um, we're quick to jump on social media for stuff and looking for somebody to validate our feelings and emotions um, instead of actually addressing them ourselves. Um, and then when people criticize you or judge you for what you put up there, um, you get defensive, but you don't want to put it out there. Um, and then, and not saying that the people's judgments are correct, because it's, a lot of it is based off of ignorance. And they don't, like you said, they don't know what's going on in this man's life. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know the issues that are actually, um, that he's dealing with. But in addition to that, they, they try to hold, because he's still a man. So that, that yeah. plays into that stigma. Yeah. So like, I saw Faison Love's um, Instagram post after Tyrese posted those videos of him crying. And he was like, you know, why are you crying? Why are you acting like a bee? Why are you doing this? Mm. Like, you man up, man up to your responsibilities and do this, that, and the third. You don't be on Instagram crying and this. I'm like, bruh, like, I'm like, I want to be like, you act like you ain't never been through an issue. It just so happened that he 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 put he, he put it out there. There. he put it out there. Um, but it's that it's that it's that false sense of machismo. And that you you know we always should be stronger. So that definitely plays into the stigma, and, and it's go make some people not address their issues. Mm -hmm. And then the the fact with him saying about the medication, I mean that's going to keep certain people from not taking the medication the way they actually should, which is yeah. it's it's a catch twenty two. Yeah. You know, and all we can do is continue to normalize what we actually do with addressing mental health issues and continue to promote people to be healthy well-beings. Um, whether it's, if you're not taking meds, you need to make sure that you're doing everything that you, because a lot of times we don't, we don't think about, okay, so medication is for to help with the chemical imbalance in our bodies. A lot of times we don't think about the other chemicals and stuff that we put in our bodies, whether it's alcohol and drugs or the food that we eat. You know, we eating McDonald's and all of that stuff. Like, that stuff is genetically altered. And so that definitely plays into our chemical imbalance within our body. So we got to, you know, think about that as well. So if you want to not take any medication, you need to also factor in what other stuff <laughs> right. are you putting in your body as well. Mm. And now I, I want you to also talk about your nonprofit, Eustress. So can you tell us, like, where did that come from? What made you decide to do a nonprofit to raise awareness? Um, so it's all, all everything that I do really based off of my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, I decided to do eustress. So eustress means good stress. Um, and it's all about perception. So like I said, we all deal with stress in some way, some, somehow. I chose the word eustress just because of, I think about because I used to I work out a lot. Mm -hmm. So it places stress on your body, but that stress on your body promotes the growth. So I don't look at it like it's something that's negative. And so I look at it as something that's positive. So it's all about the perception of the things that you go through in life, whether it's, you know, a breakup, whether it's you losing your job. Don't, you know, it's, it's one thing to think about it like, dang, well, I got to go through this now. But then also flipping and figure out, well, what can you learn from this situation? How will you actually grow from it? So that's why I chose the word eustress. And it's basically an organization to raise mental health awareness. We do mental health awareness walks, host mental health first aid trainings to teach individuals like how to pick up on signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. Also hold workshops to teach individuals um, how to address certain issues and skill building to address certain stresses in your life. 
And I mean, it was, and it, and it's mainly geared towards the black and brown communities because we don't have that voice. Like I said, we don't talk about stuff enough. So that's why I created this um, organization. And I mean, it's just a, a compliment to my own, you know, private, you know, agency where I do therapy as well. So mm -hmm. this allows me to actually get out into the community and stuff as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anybody has any questions before we head off? So I want to thank Rashawn so much again just for coming, sharing your story and your books. Books are for sale. I'm, I'm doing the plug for you. I got you. So, <laughs> but I would honestly say cop one, maybe for that man in your life that needs it. <laughs> a, a, a Christmas gift. <laughs> Put it in his pocket. <laughs> So definitely I want to say thank you. You are definitely doing some great work. Um, before y'all go, can y'all take out your phones right quick for me? Can y'all take a selfie on Snapchat? Because I got a filter. So y'all take oh, that so. picture. And then when you post it, use the hashtag TECLive17. I, I know, girl, I know we got to get the lighting right, though, yeah, right? right, right. <laughs> I got to put my flash on. No, I'm dark. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that one, because I've got the S at the end or something. Okay. <laughs> so make sure y'all locations is on. I just heard that. Build a, a Snapchat tutorial back there. Hi, thank you. T E C Live One Seven. These gonna be some beautiful selfies. Y'all getting the <laughs> the angles of everything. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to say thank y'all so much for coming out to help me celebrate 30 sessions um, at this holiday live show. As always, you can go listen to the Evolving Chair podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, as well as on Fridays at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time on WQYLDB. As always, I'm Lakeisha, and until next time, peace. Hey, TEC listeners, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and rate this podcast. You can send me emails with questions, comments, and feedback to TECpodcast2017 at gmail.com, on Twitter at TECpodcast2017, IG at TECpodcast, Facebook, The Evolving Chair Podcast, or check out my website, at www.theevolvingchair.com. So go listen to me on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play.